This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello everybody and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra. My voice went really high. Talking Flutes Extra with Claire Southworth down in Hove. Hi Claire. Hi, hi John Paul. Is this Talking Flutes Extra? Is this not just Talking okay, Flutes? Okay, I'll try to pinch one off you. It's Talking Flutes. It is. <laughs> it's Talking Flutes. I like to try and pinch them off you. Yeah, Talking Flutes with Claire down in Hove and moi, Jean Paul, here in Tunbridge Wells. Hi Claire, how you been? I've been doing fine, thank you. Sort of getting into this new year, feeling very positive and looking forward to the year ahead. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Feeling positive. And uh, it's when people say, you know, you've got to feel positive about something. If you're feeling lousy, how can you actually feel positive about something? For me, there's a slight conflict there, isn't it? Oh, I'm feeling quite lousy. Oh, think positive. Well, you know what I've been doing? I... I read something, oh, might have been before Christmas, that before you go to sleep at night, think of something that makes you smile before you go to sleep. Just think of something lovely that makes you smile. And that, that I think that really helps because, you know, you know, especially if something's bothered you during the day, you don't want to go to sleep, think about things that have bothered you. So just try and think of something lovely to, to make you smile. Oh, I like that. I like that. So I can just think about myself because I always make myself smile. Of course you can, of course you can. <laughs> and how's your three lovely dogs? Have you still got the fourth one? Uh, yes, we've still got the fourth one. Uh, he'll be going quite soon. Uh, but my three retrievers are, are very lively and very lovely. Yeah. And before we deviate off into flute world, your golf this year, your golf. Uh, I've been practicing over. I've had lessons as you as a, we gathered, and just before Christmas, I'd started golfing lessons. I have had them through the new year, and I'm now not killing anyone on the driving range, which is most important. I'm actually going forwards rather than sideways. Um, what is your goals for this year on golf? On golf, well, my goals are always to get better, get my handicap down. So I am very competitive. I was always very competitive in, in the flute world. I did all the competitions going. And um, I've taken that same feeling into my golfing world. And I enter everything. And um, it's great fun. I, and, you know, we were talking in the first podcast of the new year about uh, realistic goals, sh short and long-term goals. I sort of do the same with golf in terms of, of thinking what needs what needs working on and and setting myself targets but being realistic with it because after all it's just a game now golf uh, is a game but you you it's, it's due with the amount of shots it takes you to get from the tee into the hole and you add that up over nine over 18 obviously the 19th is when you're going to have a drink afterwards that's the most important hole isn't it but when it comes to music i can be i can understand competitive golf because you're trying to get your handicap down and you're trying to win a match. Being competitive in flute playing and music is it's so difficult because it's coming down to 
personal preference, isn't it, of a jury? It's very subjective, very subjective. And that's that's what's tricky. And that's the the creative arts are always subjective. It's a very difficult field to judge. And that's why, you know, if you go and do auditions, exams, competitions, you've got to go in with an open mind. Because I remember having a, a sort of a long time being thoroughly demoralized and depressed about not having got through to another round or having not having good results or you know it's it's because it's subjective you know it depends who's listening to you you know if you've got if you're playing to one person they don't like your style then you, you, you know, they don't like your style if they if they are open-minded they might appreciate what you're doing and still give you monks for that you know if you've got someone who just sort of doesn't like what you what you do then you're in trouble i, I remember sitting in on many a final year recitals at the Royal Northern and at the Academy. There was a fabulous flute player called Ken Smith, who was principal of the Philharmonia Orchestra for, for many, many years. The most wonderful flute player, a very unassuming, humble man. And he would say sometimes in, in final recitals, uh, it's not quite my style, but I, I but it's, fantastic what they're doing it's, it's so there's a lot of thought going on here it's very well expressed it's it's um he could appreciate what had gone into a performance rather than say well i wouldn't play it like that and and it was i found that very enlightening and encouraging and it helped me look at lots of different players in a different way because i used to be quite um dismissive no, I don't like that. Uh, I do like that. And now I, I'm much better at, at being appreciative of what people are doing and just know that it's different. A bit like different paintings, you know. I could, you can look at a real abstract painting and say, yes, there's something in that that really appeals. And you could look, look at a portrait and say the same thing, but they're two completely different, completely different styles. So there's, you can like many different players uh, without being too critical. So being competitive, you would probably say, is being competitive with yourself, constantly challenging yourself, rather than measuring yourself. We did in a previous podcast, you shouldn't measure yourself anyway. But if you're going to a competition, uh, your measure is you, rather than necessarily the outcome of that audition. Yeah, you've got to go in there and feel that you've done the best, best job possible and that you did the right work for it. You know, if you've put in the work and you've, you've done the best you can, you know, pat yourself on the back. You know, you, you can't do more than that. And if somebody didn't like it or you don't get through or you didn't get the right mark, um, don't, be, don't be hard on yourself. Uh, my dogs have just got very excited because I think Rolf just came home. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what, the, that's what the noise is, but I'm sure it'll all settle down soon. Yeah, it's not as bad as last year when it was during the summer, a hot day, and the dogs just come in, and all we could hear on one of the podcasts was Pete drinking his water. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's true, and and I think with um, Liz Walker recording, I did there was a, some dog barking, but you know it it shows it's real. <laughs> it is, and it's life. It's real life. Yeah, um, it's life. I apologise. We've deviated away from some of the questions. And this sort of started last year when I think it was the blind flute player in Germany. Was it Wolfgang? Yes. 
who was, who wanted to have some information because he's blind he, he can't obviously read, read books that give alternative fingerings so there's a few questions that have come in claire and i have sent them to you i can read them or i'm gonna i'm gonna sort of pass this side of it over to you as the expert okay. so the first question is can you tell us some alternative fingerings and that's kenneth waring as you can imagine that on what well, being audio it's very difficult to yes. talk about fingerings it's quite it could get quite complex but i think maybe because there are so many alternative fingerings i'm not too sure where to start but maybe we should talk about why we need them first yeah because there are there are zillions of flute players out there maybe lots of people listening today who never use alternative fingerings, maybe haven't even heard of alternative fingerings. So why do we need them? Well, they're generally to improve your technique. They can help you play in tune. They can help you create different tone colors, different effects, different dynamics. They can also help you play faster. So they can help you overcome difficult technical sections, especially in the third octave. You know, what suddenly comes to mind is the very end of the, the Russia Suite Antique, you need a trick finger, is a really tricky passage. Prokofiev Classical Symphony, there's a, a really difficult passage which uh, alternative fingerings come into. The end of Chandelinos, flute piano, there's a very difficult section which you could use yep. alternative fingerings. Yep, yep. Which, which just so good for getting overcoming difficult technical sections in the third octave. But the finger is also dependent on, on the type of flute you play. So you've maybe got a closed hole flute or open hole. You've got a C foot, a B foot joint, or you might have closed G sharp or open G sharp. That's a whole other discussion. And we're going to talk about open G sharp a bit later, if you remind me, Claire, because it's our 200th podcast coming up next week and we've got a little competition, haven't we? Oh, we have. So can you uh, just remind me at the end of the podcast for us to have a little chatette about that? I'm going to talk about the superior system of the open G sharp flute. Yes. And uh, why we all should be playing it. So, oh, no. Sorry, if on, if I'm waking up now. <laughs> back on to alternative fingerings. Yes. Let's mention just a few simple ones because it's, it, I said it's quite difficult to, ex to clearly explain in, in this sort of format. B flat. Yes. Now, that's, we have a long B-flat. We do. Where we finger with the, the, the first finger and the thumb of the left hand and the first finger of the right hand, that we call the long B-flat. Mm -hmm. Or we have the B-flat thumb key, mm -hmm. where we've got just the, the two fingers working. And we have the lever mm -hmm. B-flat. The Bricciardi um, key, yes. The only thing I would say about the B-flat is that I was always pushed into always using the long B-flat because yes. it's always... Harder for coordination to use to move two fingers at a time rather than to use the B flat thumb key, which makes it easier. But then, when you've got a more difficult piece, which has got B naturals and B flats, the piece becomes that much harder again. Yep, yep. The, but it's when you've got a, a, um, something that's a little bit more difficult or more complex and it's got B flats in, you can put your thumb key on, and that alternative fingering makes it easier. Then what's another sort of obvious one? Well, why, um, why do some people, some flute players that I see, and um, I actually use these as well, why do you depress the, the low E 
sorry, the, yeah, the low E and the OD, low D when you're playing uh, an open note, say a C or C sharp, why are you pressing, depressing the notes at the bottom? Is that to flatten? Are you the... talking about? Are you talking about the the, the second and the third fingers yes. of the right hand? Yes. Second and third fingers of the right hand. Okay. You often read that if you're playing a C sharp and it's sharp, that if you put the the second and third fingers of the right hand down, it flattens. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't change the pitch at all. Try it. <laughs> what it does do, do, it gives you more stability. So C sharp is an unstable note because you've only got one little finger down on the D sharp key. So if your balance isn't so good, the flute could rock. So if you put the two fingers down very lightly without pressure, it helps stabilize the flute. Oh, Claire, I'm an old geezer, and I've all my life I've been thinking that depressing those have, have sort of flattened it slightly. But no, you're exactly right. All I'm doing is I'm um, making sure I'm holding the flute properly. <laughs> if you find the C sharp's a bit unstable holding it, you could use those two fingers. I would necessarily encourage a lot. Um, but say you've got a C sharp D trill where you're using the, the first trill key. Yeah. It might help with the other two fingers down to keep the stability. Might not, but it's there. It, it's there if you need it. How about the middle uh, finger F sharp? Right. Oh, F sharp. Oh, F sharp. In the first two octaves, always, always, always use the third finger for F sharp. Because if you use your middle finger, mm -hmm. which is often easier, the tone is compromised. Yeah. And we hear it. I mean, in every lesson I've ever given, every audition I've ever heard, I know when someone's used the middle finger for F sharp, you hear it. It's it's so clear. I mean, if you if you've got a if you've got a beginner with a, a really unfocused, unclear sound, you won't hear it. But as soon as you've developed some sort of technique in terms of tone production, if you use the middle finger, we hear it. Do not use the middle finger, period. Okay? But if you go into the third octave, then you're, it's not compromised. The middle finger F sharp in the third octave, it flattens the pitch, which is a bonus because the third octave is often sharp. Um, so in the third octave is fine. Now, if you're playing something that is, if say if you're playing a pianissimo top F sharp. Good grief. I hate that. You could still use the middle finger, which, but you might be a bit flat. But if you slide your little finger mm -hmm. of the right hand onto your C sharp key, yep. it creates the most beautiful in tune pianissimo F sharp. That C sharp key is the most useful key to use in the third octave for quite a lot of notes. So you can also use it for top A. Put your little finger on the C sharp key and you can get the most exquisite, quiet top A. Well, you can tell I never went to you for, as a teacher, Claire. I, <laughs> I, I knew it for F sharp, I never knew it for top A. So Yeah, top A. So for everyone listening, just experiment. I said you've got, you've got variations if you've got open holes because you can put down just the ring holes for certain notes not just the whole the whole key so you've got there are lots of variations 
uh, that you can use. And, and you can Google it, of course. You I mean, there, there are lots of things online which tell you about different, different fingerings. And just think about the third octave now, top G sharp also benefits from putting down the second and the third fingers of the right hand. They, they flatten it. Um, so it's, it's a case of, of, of experimenting. Um, now, in terms of, this, I think the most interesting way of using different fingerings is for the, the use of special colors and effects. And I think everyone should go and listen to Ian Clark and Robert Dick recordings because they use an abundance of special fingerings to create different um, and otherworldly sounds. So I'm, I'm really thinking especially of, for Ian Clark, Zoom Tube and Hatching Aliens. And um, but he's also got, I don't know if he's recorded, I remember him playing a Handel flute sonata on his modern flute, but he played it almost entirely on alternative fingerings to make it sound like a Baroque flute. I mean, you could say why, but it was different and it was, it was enchanting and it was mesmerizing, just absolutely fascinating. So different fingerings help create different colors and different effects. I've remembered another really useful one, which is for low A, if you want a really loud low A, you can put down your first finger of your right hand and just low, low C sharp key again with your little finger on the right hand. Now, because I'm open G sharp, I now suddenly can't remember whether your G sharp key is open or closed, so experiment. And then maybe you can all let us know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's either up or down, I can't quite remember now, but a really strong, resonant low A, you finger the A, first ring of the right hand and your C-sharp key at the bottom. And then either with your little finger of the right hand or not, you can experiment. Ah, so there's loads, isn't there? There's sort of... There um... loads. I'm sure there's a book about it. Oh, I... Is it the, 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 the other flute? Um, no, the Robert Dick uh, one. Other flute, Robert Dick, and also... Um, I know Gurgly oh. Itchish, the Hungarian flute player, wrote wrote all the alternative fingerings down, but he covers his pages of it. Yeah, but you, you can certainly you can get enough maybe just go and Google a bit. Absolutely yeah. fine. Now, yeah. there, is, there is one thing. How about a really sharp top B and top C? Mm-hmm. Um, this well, this question came in from Amy Bellingham, who says, I have okay. a really sharp top B and C, and it makes me really nervous if I have to play them. What can I do to flatten them? Well, you could just say pull out and 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 direct the air down a little bit. That mm -hmm. helps. If we're going, let's go up from, say, top E is also very sharp. You can, if it's in a fast passage, take your D-sharp key off. Okay. That flattens it, but it also affects the tone color a little bit. So it's really in fast passages. We mentioned top F sharp using the middle finger of your right hand. Uh, G is fine. G sharp is sharp. To, so uh, second and third fingers of the right hand. A is generally okay. B flat's okay. B and C sharp. So really it's a case of sometimes if you've got a, a high passage that's isolated you can if you've got a chance to you can pull the head joint out a bit um, but it's really angling the airstream down without covering the mouth hole 
because you don't want to squash the sound. You don't want to squeeze the sound. So it's really dropping the jaw and angling the airstream. And, yeah, I mean, they're buggers, those notes, aren't they? I mean, there is a, if you, I know when you play top C, if you have to play top C, if you can get, if you've got a low B foot joint and you, you can manage yeah. to get all those keys down, there's something that happens. It just sort of comes out beautifully, doesn't it? But it's not often. And you've also got, yeah, you've got a gizmo key as well, though, on a low B, on a low B foot joint. You've got a gizmo key. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's... I think Mouse had something to say about that then. I don't think she agreed with it, but um, she thinks she, I think she thinks you have to play each note as you're meant to play it. Possibly. <laughs> and when we... Uh, the, another one is that uh, if you do your harmonic practice, there are pieces where, say, if in the... Is it the last note, the Ebert second movement, there's a D-flat, and you don't play a D-flat, you play the harmonic, don't you? Yes, so, but harmonics, harmonics are sort of a, a true notes, and they you have to be careful of the of the pitch of those. But mm. um, in the first two octaves, harmonics are are really good to to check your tuning. So that that's such a good practice to to bring harmonics into your into your practice. Yeah, because you and, may you may be in tune with an A or an E or whatever, but your flute might be out of tune with itself, mightn't it? Yeah, and it was a really good practice to find a nice simple melody that maybe you can put into the the middle octave and just play it on harmonics so basically you're fingering a low register note and then overblowing to get the notes of the melody uh, and then play it normally and see whether your your tuning is good so hard questions to discuss on a podcast isn't it without actually getting flutes out and, and even if you've got a flute out you'd only be able to hear it you won't be able to see the fingers so it's um it's quite odd really, it is hard and it, it sounds almost a little bit too black and white how we're talking about it because every example is slightly different and what what the players have to do is open their ears use their ears in order to ask themselves is this in tune if it's not is it sharp is it flat what can i do about it and then and and, and adjust accordingly and sometimes the more out of tune you are, the better it is because it, it trains your ears up. If, if you're wildly out, it's easier to hear than if you're just closely out, if you see what I mean. And, and this, we haven't even talked about the setup of the flute. So, you know, one, uh, one bit of advice that we, we used to tell to so many sort of, not necessarily beginner flute players, well, beginner flute players and, and, and intermediate flute players is, is pull out, turn out. Because if, if your flute joint is pushed right in, the, the whole scale of the flute is, is out. Yeah. But you need to pull your head joint out and turn out a bit in order to help get the harmonics in tune and be in tune with yourself. Yeah. And if you're not sure about that, then same thing. If you push your head joint right in and play some octaves, um, play the, the octaves as, as, as themselves and then play the harmonics, you'll, you'll hear how different it is. And if you look at any professional flute player, you, most of you would be absolutely shocked at how much they've got their head joint pulled out. Most most flutes are tuned naturally to A equals four four two, sometimes four four three, and obviously in Austria and other some European countries, it's slightly higher four four four, and sometimes even four four five. So really bright, but four four two is the sort of standard. It's not four forty anymore. 
so normally you would be pulling out a little bit. Most of you would be pulling out a little bit. But the 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 be- I won't say the better, the more accomplished player you are, the further out you've actually got the head joint pulled. Yeah, and, and also if you've got a head joint that didn't come originally with the flute, it also depends on how long that head joint is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, does that take into account? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great just to experiment with harmonics and, and see where where the tuning is and, and work it out for yourself. Um, it's so good for your ear training. And that is a completely different subject. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Claire. It's, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? It is. It is. And, yeah, I've just got to be careful what you, we speak about on a podcast because I think if people had a flute with them when they were listening to the podcast, it'd be quite, it'd be much easier to actually understand because, but as you were talking, I was actually thinking, do I get a flute out of my cupboard? But then my dog would then start barking if I got the flute out. So it's, yeah, it's, it's quite a hard topic, but I hope we've done it a little bit of justice. But if there's any more questions on that or specific uh, requests, then please let Claire and I know at flutepodcast at gmail.com. Next week, Claire. We hit the magic 200 podcasts. We do. It's so hard to believe. If you'd said to me two, two and a half years ago <laughs> that we'd still be doing this, uh, you know, and we'd be up to 200, you know, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and it's been a very enjoyable experience, I have to say. So thank you very much. It's a, it's a big number, 200. And I feel sorry, genuinely sorry for all of you that have sat through and listened religiously to each one every week to 200. And uh, the this year, the aim is to get them all categorised and up, actually up on its own official website as well as being on podcast providers so that you can easily navigate through. Because when you get to 200, there's some actually brilliant ones that are early on. And I will go back to Wizam Bustani, which is very early on in the cycle. That's stunning. And just last, they'll just last the test of time. And to celebrate, we'll speak about this next week, we're actually going to be giving away a flute that I can't play. The flute that drives me absolutely bananas every time I play. And it is the most obvious instrument to play if you're a flute player. But yet, if you're not used to the mechanism, it can drive you crackers. And it's an open G-sharp flute. Well, yes, we're going to give away a TJ Open G-sharp 10X flute. It's the style that Claire plays. Derenice Burikov plays. And some wonderful, brilliant flute players also play. And Claire, Claire's quite open in that it's very natural. And as soon as you get to grips, and it shouldn't take you long, it just opens up a brand new world for you. Uh, I struggle on it, but I'm old, so it's my brain can't cope with it, certainly when you get above the first octave. But we're going to give one away, aren't we, Claire? Yes, it's the superior system. It's the original <laughs> Bowen system. Yep. It's logical. You've got keys sprung open, so it feels better under mm-hmm. under your fingers. Um, and you, you don't need ridiculous additions like split E's um, because the original Bowen system works acoustically correctly. And... It's a great opportunity for someone for with this giveaway. I would I would recommend everyone go and try an open G sharp flute. Yeah, and if you normally they're only available as an option on really expensive flutes, so this one is very going to be very affordable and is one that we're actually manufacturing and selling around the world now. And for most of you, if you don't know what an open G sharp is, it is logical. For each finger you put down, there is a note. So when you get down to the G. The G is with the lever. 
and the G sharp is without the lever on. So you're just making the, for every finger you put down, each note goes down. So it is extremely yeah, So if you're, fingering, if you're fingering A and you put your third finger down, you go down a semitone yes. to A flat or G sharp. Yes. And then you put your little finger down and it goes down to G. So you go down as you put fingers down, you go up as you take fingers up. So for every note below the left hand notes, you keep your little finger down. Yeah, and is that the thing? That's the thing that drives me potty. But there is, from the people I've spoken to that play open G sharp, their facility is stunning. Their ability to play fast music is is just wonderful. And as you say, there's less things to go wrong. Well, I, I certainly found that my technique improved when I played when I changed to open G sharp, and it released for me. It released a lot of tension. So it's it's a, it's a it's a really good system, one that everyone should try. So more details next week when we launch our competition, our giveaway. We'll be giveaway rather than competition. As a thank you to all you long-suffering listeners of Talking Flutes. So look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you, Claire. You're very welcome. Thank you, John Paul. And uh, very excited about the giveaway. And we'll we'll think of a way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll enter this one. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Flutepodcast at gmail.com for any questions and suggestions. And don't forget to rate and like us on the podcast provider you are listening to us on. Wishing you a great week ahead, Claire. Yeah, and you. Thanks, John Paul. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.